0: We showed that a chronic inflammatory condition led to generate platelets that were more reactive. That means that they're easy to activate, therefore they're easier to make plots.
1: Hi, I'm Helen Pitlick, and this is Bloodworks 101, the podcast that inspires you to give time, money, or blood. In The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, a short story by F. Scott Fitzgerald and later a movie directed by David Fincher, the protagonist ages backwards. He's born an old man and dies as a baby. As a youth, Benjamin puzzles his peers and elders. His mind and body just don't act like that of a child, and he faces the consequences of their misunderstanding. It's fiction, a commentary on life and the passage of time, But for some young patients, the concept is not that far-fetched. What happens when kids exhibit disorders more often seen in the elderly? Dr. Pavel Davison-Castillo wants to find out.
0: A funny part of my work is that I am a pediatrician who is mostly working on aging and age-related diseases that affect blood with the particular focus on chronic inflammation.
1: In our last episode, we introduced you to Dr. Gua, one of the new principal investigators who recently joined Bloodworks Research Institute. Today, I want to introduce you to another, Dr. Davison Castillo. Dr. Davison Castillo trained in pediatric hematology-oncology, blood cancer in children, but practices mainly on non-malignant hematology, non-cancerous blood disorders. Dr. Davison Castillo joined Bloodworks in 2023, or should I say, rejoined. After getting his medical degree in his native Mexico, he worked in Dr. Jose Lopez's lab from 2006 to 2011, before leaving to continue his medical training at UT Southwestern in Dallas, Texas, followed by his fellowship at the University of Colorado. He's a 2022 recipient of a joint award from the American Society of Hematology and Harold Amos Medical Faculty Development Program of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which offers four years of research support and other career-enhancing benefits to one or two physicians from historically disadvantaged communities. Recipients, like Dr. Davison Castillo, are committed to careers in academic medicine, decreasing health disparities, and mentoring others from similar backgrounds, something he himself experienced in the Lopez lab. Dr. Lopez is an alumnus of this program. Here's Pavel.
0: Some of these age-related diseases are conditions where we're typically chronically inflamed.
1: As a layperson, I think of inflammation as the response to an injury. You twist your ankle, and it becomes swollen and inflamed. Inflammation is part of the body's immune response to heal or fight off an invader. In the case of a sprained ankle, inflammation is a good thing. However, inflammation becomes bad when it triggers responses that damage our body's own cells or throw off normal functions.
0: Inflammation is, is important. We need inflammation to live. The issue is when the systems that take care of resolving inflammation are just not working properly. That's the problem because it becomes a chronic inflammatory stimuli, for example. And that's mostly what I'm, I'm, I'm interested So what we're trying to understand is How does chronic inflammation actually make platelets be more reactive? And this comes from a good amount of data and literature where chronic inflammation and acute inflammation make us develop more clots.
1: As a practicing physician at Seattle Children's, Dr. Davison Castillo also cares for patients, specifically those with blood disorders, abnormal platelet counts, and thrombosis.
0: For example, when I work in the hospital, it is quite common, unfortunately, that we get consulted to go and evaluate and treat kids who have developed clots. Often, the main risk factors that we can identify in these kids with clots is a chronic inflammatory condition, like, for example, autoimmune diseases. Uh, cancer is another big uh, inflammatory condition. Obesity is a problem uh, that is on the rise in kids uh, as well. I was always attracted to why is it that we are more pro-thrombotic, more prone to develop a thrombosis when we are inflamed. And When I worked here before, many years ago, over 15 years ago with uh, Jose Lopez, I got quite interested in Understanding the mechanism behind that, taking into account that for a clot to occur, many things must happen. We always need to take into account that a clot needs three big elements, at least, like the blood vessel where the clot is going to occur, the coagulation factors that are floating in the blood that help these clots be made, and platelets. For a long time playlists have been thought to be just like bricks that we need need to make clots but we know over the past 10 years playlists have a lot more functions than just making clots they can modulate so many other functions and probably dr guo explained that how uh, platelets can affect the immune system for example so when i when i was here i I was puzzled with the fact that there was not a lot of research going on to try to understand how does inflammation actually affect platelets, and that's what my area of study is. So I'm trying to understand why uh, the inflammatory milieu makes these platelets more prothrombotic, and to study this, we typically study the platelets of patients, and when when possible, the megakaryocytes of patients or different mouse models of inflammation. The reason why I got into studying inflammation in the beginning was curiosity, but there was a lot of being in the right place at the right time. For example, I remember that when I began my training as a pediatric hematologist and oncologist in Colorado, I had already developed an idea for a project I wanted to study. At that point, I was very interested in studying actually the role of platelets uh, promoting metastatic disease in cancer. But just a few months into my training, there was a publication, a big publication, that basically uh, published what I was thinking. So I had to really pivot a lot. And I remember pretty clearly, I was in the middle of doing a lumbar puncture lumbar with my attending at the time, who was asking me about my research interests. So I explained to her like, oh, no, you know I'm very interested in inflammation and thrombosis. The idea I had, uh, related to this it was already published, so I need to figure out a different project. And she said, why don't you go and talk to so-and-so at the University of Colorado They study aging. And they study aging as a model of inflammation. So. Because I'm a pediatrician, obviously I don't treat older adults. But it, it was a, a little bit of an epiphany at the point, at the moment because thinking more as a hematologist, aging is an independent risk factor for thrombosis. After 60, 65 years of age, the incidence, incidence of thrombosis in older individuals really, really increases uh, dramatically. So that posed to me a very interesting new idea to study. That, hey, maybe now I can study why the contribution of platelets to thrombosis during aging in the context of inflammation. And we published these results in blood in 2019. We showed that a chronic inflammatory condition in these mice led to generate platelets that were more reactive. That means that they're easy to activate, therefore they're easier to make clots, and they can overtake the regulatory systems that regulate clot formation. So with that in mind, then I started thinking more about, well, there's a number of age-related diseases, hematological diseases that, again, I don't see in my clinic, but my colleagues in adult hematology see. And one of the big problems for those patients is the high incidence for uh, clots that they develop. So that led me to start thinking about, well, maybe this is another way to continue to expand my research on inflammation and thrombosis. Given that these patients in particular, I'm talking about a disease called myeloproliferative neoplasms, these patients are also highly, highly inflamed. And usually the molecule that I'm interested as a target is TNF-alpha, is very elevated in these patients. So that's how I started to develop this research around inflammation. The problem with this inflammatory condition is that it is like the slow, the simmering, chronic inflammation. It's not like the inflammation we develop when we have a bacterial infection in the body or, or a very acute uh, viral infection that everything in our system really reacts, generates a lot of inflammatory molecules to uh, make sure the immune system is working, to kill the bacteria or the viruses. This, is the, What I'm talking about is mostly like low levels of inflammation that, for whatever reason, kind of evade the systems that actually take control of that. And sometimes this is a low level of inflammation that uh, occurs because the cells that can generate these inflammatory molecules are constantly just generating these molecules in a way that contribute to just low-grade chronic inflammation. And that's a little bit trickier because we don't have really uh, ways to bring that down. Uh, We think that sometimes it is just as part of our aging, uh, aging of our systems, that the regulatory systems are just not working properly. Basically what, what what we're really interested in is on studying these conditions where low levels of chronic inflammatory molecules are present in certain diseases. And that's what we're trying to target. First of all, we're trying to identify what are the specific pathways that are changing because of this chronic inflammatory condition in the platelets and the megakaryocytes, which are the parental cells for the platelets. First, we want to delineate what's abnormal. In that way, we can identify potential pathways to target with therapeutic interventions.
1: These interventions can even be relatively simple more about reducing something that you're already doing instead of adding a pill.
0: In some of these interventions we're thinking can be actually non-pharmacological. Like, for example, we know that calories restriction or fasting, for example, can potentially uh, modulate these processes and down the inflammation. Obviously, there are medications that we, we could potentially propose to use to bring down inflammation. However, those are particularly designed for patients with very, very high levels of these inflammatory conditions where there's no other way to bring down their disease, like for example, rheumatoid arthritis. Some of these patients uh, really require an antibody that is injected every certain number of weeks and that antibody basically is quenching that inflammatory molecules, bringing down that inflammation and bringing some resolution of the symptoms and the disease. Those are expensive and, of course, they're not free of potential side effects. So what we're trying to then develop here is take a different perspective to the problem, trying to identify what is different from the metabolic perspective in mercury sites and platelets so that we can uh, then propose new pathways, hopefully novel pathways, to bring down the hyperreactive phenotype of platelets and bring down their contribution to thrombosis.
1: So what is aging exactly? Prince saying, act your age, not your shoe size. But the clinical sense of aging may not correlate with either years or sneakers.
0: Aging is not just a number. We have been just labeling uh, aging, uh, let's say 65 years of age, that's that's probably an older individual, probably in part because that's what legally constitutes like a retirement age. We don't have a good definition of what biological aging versus chronological aging is, but in order to study this condition, we had to set a time point, and using chronological aging is perhaps the easiest way. Not every individual over 60 or 65 years of age would exhibit inflammation. So we think that there are other many other factors that can contribute to this process, like other comorbidities, co-occurring diseases, metabolic diseases. We know that those can actually increase your inflammatory, milieu your inflammatory profile. So it's going to take some time for us to be able to study a group of individuals uh, of certain uh, ages, younger versus older, to then segregate which ones are actually inflamed without a known disease for example to better understand why are they inflamed and are those individuals experiencing or exhibiting uh, platelet phenotypes that go with a more pro-thrombotic process and that's part of one of our research projects currently trying to understand in humans what what aging what does aging mean and how does that correlate with platelet function and their thrombotic risk
1: so if platelets play a role in all of the bad parts of inflammation, would modifying platelet effectiveness help?
0: We know that we need platelets to modulate the immune system. And some of these uh, modulatory uh, processes are quite subtle. They're not necessarily something that we can tell right away that things are changing. They usually take weeks or months for, for, for to see an effect, perhaps. But when it comes to coagulation, there has been some studies, I mean, we know that in the past, The use of aspirin was proposed as perhaps this is going to be the silver bullet to bring down thrombosis during an older older age. And we know that actually made things worse, in the sense that uh, older individuals without really a lot of risk factors for cardiovascular disease, for example, heart attacks or strokes, were experiencing more bleeding than the benefit of a potential uh, stroke or a heart attack. So the recommendation is to not use it in older individuals without a known reason, like coronary artery disease or a stroke in the past. So, going back to whether the use of an antiplatelet like uh, aspirin would affect other immune functions, I think that's a very important work that we need to do. And Dr. Gu is, I'm sure, that she's gonna be one of the pioneers bringing more information to the community about this. However, there are some other epidemiological studies that have shown that of these other individuals that that were taking aspirin, for example, the incidence of some types of cancer actually went down. So this is a very tricky part of what we're studying because platelets are very good, very important to make sure that we don't bleed excessively, but it seems that if they don't activate as well, which is what we need to stop bleeding, also can have a benefit when it comes to uh, decrease the incidence of some cancers too. So there are a lot of redundant pathways in platelets, but there are also a a number of kind of ambiguous pathways that we need to to, um, better understand.
1: This is the sort of nuance that a young Pavel probably didn't imagine when he first thought about going into medicine.
0: My father is a pediatrician back in Mexico. And I grew up basically in the back of his office. In kindergarten, after school, I would go to his office and wait for my mom to pick me up. And I got really, really interested in what he was doing. So that was kind of a natural way for me to get interested in medicine. Growing up in Mexico and training as a physician in Mexico, I was also very attracted to science and that is unfortunately not something uh, where medical education is that strong in Mexico. Basic science and understanding how we can discover new knowledge through basic science. So I remember I was actually in medical school, it was this endocrinology uh, professor teaching us about the insulin pathway who I asked him, hey, how do they know how is it that this pathway works how how do we know a protein is phosphorylated how, he was a great physician a great clinician but he was also a very honest uh, physician he just looked at me and said i think that if you want to know that you need to become a scientist and that really kind of clicked in my head i said i really want to understand how things work not only in the clinical setting but also in in the in the research aspect of the basic science so that was the way I got engaged to become a pediatric hematology or physician scientist.
1: As a practicing physician and researcher, Dr. Davison Castillo is able to treat patients with bleeding disorders, but also follow patients with platelet issues.
0: We're trying to understand a number of really rare platelet disorders where maybe patients don't have enough numbers of platelets or their platelets don't work properly, there's a number of genetic variants that can come up during our studies, during our genetic testing, that tend to be like variants of a non-significance. So basically, this is like another way to say, this could be bad or this could be okay. So something that we're working in a lab as well is to be able to translate that from a variant of unknown significance found in a patient, bring it back to our lab and do basic studies to be able to say, yes, this is, this is normal versus, no, this can be a pathological variant. So now we need to at least inform the patients about what we need to take into account for the future, but also disseminate this knowledge to the community so that uh, everybody in the world knows that if this comes up, this kind of variant, maybe this is, this is another way to, to be able to name a diagnosis.
1: What does the future hold for Dr. San Castillo and his work?
0: You know, in a, in a few years, I guess I would say that in 10 years, I would love to be able to say, studying this aspect of platelets, like for example, the metabolism of platelets, we're able to uh, develop new therapeutic ways to prevent thrombosis in, in order to treat patients with thrombotic events with, and uh, to be able to provide, to be able to improve the quality of quality, quality of life of patients with uh, thrombosis.
1: Mexico may be his first home, but Seattle and Bloodworks have a special place in doctor Davison Dabison-Castillo's heart.
0: One of my favorite things is to be able to just go outside and walk around, say, South Lake Union, for example, that's a great place, that's a really good way to to clear the head and or develop ideas for the work we're doing. I really love driving into Seattle and seeing the skyline and everything. That's that's very refreshing to see the water, the mountains, the, the buildings. And it's great to be back close to family as well. My wife is from Seattle, so. I came to Bloodworks in 2006, thanks to the invitation of Jose Lopez. I was graduating from medical school. And I met Jose randomly through my education. And I think he he knew that I wanted to be a physician scientist and he extended an invitation to come learn science and uh, be part of his team. What made me come back really, a big part, was the, the mission that the Research Institute has to develop new ways to prevent and treat thrombosis and some other bleeding disorders. Being part of this community is fantastic because this is a a community of very well-established scientists. It's a community of highly collaborative work and obviously uh, being associated also to the University of Washington where there's great hematology research and training, practicing at Seattle Children's and being back closer to family. Those were really extra added bonus to, to making a decision to come back. There's great work being done here at Bloodworks Research Institute. We hope to continue to expand this work. And most importantly, we we hope to improve the lives of our community in general.
1: Thank you for listening. This may be the first time you've heard from Dr. Davison Castillo on Bloodworks 101, but it certainly won't be the last. We can't wait to update you on his work.